If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 18 through 21 today. Before we read our passage of Scripture, since we are in the Advent season and reflecting on the Incarnation of the eternal divine Son taking on human flesh so that he could live the life that we never could and take the penalty of our sin. We've tried to come with, uh, with some sort of a, a quote or a thought on the Incarnation. Uh, I think starting the first Sunday of December. So this one comes uh, from St. John of Damascus, right? Right, St. John of Damascus. If you ask Terry Hathaway, he'll tell you he's got a church down in Casita somewhere. He doesn't, though, right? This guy was six, seven hundreds. St. John of Damascus, in part, reflects on the incarnation this way. What worthy return can we make for so great a condescension? The one only begotten God, ineffably born of God, entered the virgin's womb, and grew and took the frame of poor humanity. He who upholds the universe, within whom and through whom are all things, was brought forth by common childbirth. He at whose voice archangels and angels tremble, and heaven and earth and all the elements of this world are melted, was heard in childish wailing. The invisible and incomprehensible whom sight and feeling and touch cannot gauge was wrapped in a cradle. He by whom man was made had nothing to gain by becoming man. It was our gain that God was incarnate and dwelt among us, making all flesh his home by taking upon him the flesh of one. We were raised because he was lowered. Shame to him was glory to us. He, being God, made flesh his residence, and we in return are lifted anew from the flesh to God. Exodus chapter 20. Thinking particularly about that line in there, he at whose voice archangels and angels tremble and heaven and earth and all the elements of this world are melted fits in well with the passage today. Read with me Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. This, of course, is following the Ten Commandments, and we read this. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us as we sit 
in and under the authority of your word to consider your majesty, your transcendence, and how that is brought to bear on the way that we conceive of our relationship with you. Help us also to see, in a very healthy and appropriate way, the wonder of the Incarnation, that we are able to approach you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in ways that even Moses and the people would not have imagined. We pray that you would glorify yourself, that you would exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would do all of it by the power of the Spirit that works within us. Amen. So Exodus 20, 18 through 21, uh, we spent 10 weeks on the, on the Ten Commandments. And of course, by uh, just the very nature of things, what you're doing when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, you're typically looking at what God said. Seems straightforward enough. What did God say in the Ten Commandments? Here's what he said, and you, you run down the list. One of the ways that, this, that the immediately following paragraph, what we just read, the 20, 18 through 21, works with the Ten Commandments is because we go from what God said in the Ten Commandments to how God said it in this glimpse or this picture that we have in these short verses. Right? And one of the things that we want to consider is that not only is it important to know what God said, but it actually means something when we take into account how God says what he says. Some of you may have heard the expression before that the medium is the message or that the medium limits the message. In other words, there are certain ways of communicating that by virtue of the certain qualities or habits that are invested in the communication just shape us in different ways. So the way that you receive information, say, from a TV screen or from an iPhone is different than the way that you receive information from a book, from the printed page, is different than the way that you receive information from a spoken voice, from someone speaking to you directly. The medium affects the message, and that is abundantly clear in this passage here. Typically, if you're anything like me, when I go through the Ten Commandments, or if, or if I'm considering them, and I'm reading 20 verses 1 through, what would that be, 17, I'm reading the Ten very matter-of-factly, right? Just, just statements, I mean big, important statements, but just statements of fact. This is what you will do, this is what you won't do, and run on down. And we lose sight of the fact that the way that the narrative in Exodus has been playing out is that both on the front end and the back end of the Ten Commandments. So if you go back to Exodus 19, do this with me. Turn to Exodus 19. Look at verse 16. Remember the Lord has told Moses that he's going to come and meet with the people. He's going to reveal his, himself and his word to them. The people are told to get ready, and they do. They consecrate themselves, and we read in, in Exodus 19, 16, So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people, were in the, all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. God is speaking to his people in ways that are barely bearable. You, you see that? So that when we read through the ten and we come then to what the people have been doing as they're hearing God speak, right? We ought to consider that in light of the description here, it's not just Moses who's hearing the Ten Commandments, but it's the people who are hearing the ten. They're terrified at what they're seeing and experiencing and hearing. God could have come to his people to deliver his law, to deliver his, his covenant stipulations in any way that he wanted to. Why does he do it this way? Why not simply appear to Moses in a dream or in a vision and say, Moses, here are the ten. Go tell the people. It's obvious in light of what Moses says that God does this for a reason. It's not accidental or coincidental that God comes to his people to give them his word. God comes with his word. That in and of itself is a major theme that runs through Scripture. Where God's word is, God is to be found. But when he comes... He comes manifesting himself in ways and in items and objects and, and in features that typically cause us as people to run in the opposite direction. Thunder and lightning. Imagine, if you will, the loudest thunderclap that you have ever heard or the closest that you have ever been to a lightning strike, and then imagine that that is running constantly as the Lord is speaking, and that when the Lord is speaking, it is no mere audible voice, but it sounds like thunder itself is about to rupture your eardrums. When God is descending on the mountain, there is the blast of a trumpet, which is loud enough, but the sound of the trumpet gets louder and louder and louder. God descends on the mountain in a blazing fire. The earth is shaking. The mountain itself is about to crumble. That's how God comes to speak to his people. He comes and he overwhelms them with his presence. By virtue of his presence and just the sound of his voice, he threatens to undo them. They feel as if they are about to come apart. The earth seems like it is about to rupture and fall to pieces because it cannot bear the weight of God coming to this location. Why does he do that? Why this mode of revelation when he could have done it another way? 
And it probably does not take much effort for us to consider what the people are going to be learning in this encounter. Once again, not just what God says, but how he says it. They are going to know in no uncertain terms that this God who has redeemed them from Egypt, from slavery, to bring them to himself is no average God. He is transcendent. He exists outside of time and space. He fills it, but is not constrained by it. And should he begin to let his presence be known even in the immovable earth, the earth itself would break apart from the pressure. They would understand that God is a consuming fire, that he is holy. That he inspires a right fear and dread in approaching him. There is no casual approach to God. You cannot walk into the presence of the Lord and expect to survive. He's unapproachable in his essence and in his nature. This is what they are seeing. Do you ever think about God this way? You know what a yada watt is? Like a watt, 24 watt bulb, but yada in front of it, a yada watt. It's a, it's a measure of energy. A yottawatt is 10 to the 24th power. That's 10 with 24 zeros. All right? Any mathematicians here, don't correct me because ignorance is bliss. I think what that means, 10 to the 24th power, that is something like a million, billion, billion yottawatt. Okay? One hydrogen bomb is said to produce one yottawatt of energy. One hydrogen bomb. The biggest bomb that was ever detonated in a, in a physical detonation, like old school testing, produced 5.3 yottawatts. The shock wave was said to have gone across the globe three times in that detonation, 5.3 yottawatts. The sun produces 384.6 yottawatts per second. And we know that our sun is not the biggest star in the galaxy that we have been able to see so far. We know that there are other suns that are 700 times bigger than our sun and 14,000 times brighter than our sun. God spoke this into existence. 
if he can speak that kind of power and energy into existence, what kind of power must he have? What kind of power must he be? My mind cannot even fathom that. This is the God who has come to save a people for himself. This is a God who has come to deliver them from bondage and slavery, and not just to simply set them out on their own to let them do whatever their hearts desire, but to bring them to himself so that they can be his people. If you see this, if you experience this in Exodus 20, how will you worship God from that point on? Edgewood, be so, so very careful with your spiritual diet. Be so careful that what you are feeding your soul are not things that are going to make God comfortable to you. You don't want God to be manageable. He's not God then. You don't want a God who can be restrained or constrained because He wouldn't be God. You don't want a God who thinks like you and who acts like you. He wouldn't be God. You want to read and you want to listen to and you want to think and you want to sing songs that cause you to say there is no one like God. He is beyond my ability to comprehend him. Parents, grandparents, let me tell you one, one just very simple, small way that you can begin to cultivate this kind of real, realization or reality in the minds of your children or grandchildren is when they come and they ask you questions about God, it's okay to tell them, I don't know. Right? Because of every question that is posed to you about God and His nature and His works comes with a ready-made answer, I'm going to go out on a ledge and say, you probably are not thinking and conceiving of God in the vast transcendent way that He exists. It is okay to say, that is a great question. I don't know how he does that, but he does. I don't know why he is like that, but he is. Too much of what we have today is wanting to move away from wonder and awe and mystery and make things manageable and controllable and comfortable.
If that's the kind of God that you're going to worship, your worship is going to be small and cheap. Because you're not worshiping anything big. God comes to show something of who He is. And He does it for a purpose. The people are terrified of what they're seeing and hearing and experiencing. And so what do they do? They say, Moses, you go. You go talk to him and then come back and talk to us. Yeah, that's what we'll do, Moses. You go deal with God. It's awful big of them. And Moses' response, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear too late. Do not fear, and then, for God has come for two reasons. God has come in order to test you, that's number one, and number two, in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the mode of God's revelation is big and massive and beyond anything that the people can hope to contain or survive. And Moses says there's a purpose in God revealing himself and his word to you in this way. It is to test you and to keep the fear of God in you. What does that mean? Well, let's start with the first one. To say that he has come to you in order to test you is essentially to say in order to test your heart or to reveal, to show what kind of people you are, right? It's a testing in the sense of proving or giving evidence. So I think it works something like this. To say that God has come and he's manifesting himself this way to test you is essentially to say, let's see how they respond. What is their reaction to getting an up-close view of me? You could have this kind of experience and your heart shows itself to be such that you don't want to have anything to do with a God that is unmanageable, untamable, and transcendent. You could run. You could come into this kind of an encounter with God and you could see or interpret this display of God's presence as being little more than cosmic show-off. I don't want to worship that kind of a God. Who does he think he is? Or you could recognize that you are God's people and although God is not someone that you can comfortably manage, He is nevertheless your God 
And although you feel as if his presence and his word to you will break you, you still say, but where else will I go? So that at least in one respect, Israel responds well not to run from the Lord, even though they're terrified, not to turn a deaf ear to what God is speaking, even though it is falling on them hard and heavy. At least they have the sense or the presence of mind to say, is there any way that we can get this in a softer, gentler version? Moses, could you go talk with God, and then could you bring it back to us, and whatever he tells you, we'll do it. So at the very least, at least in this moment, they demonstrate the fact that getting a bigger glimpse of God is not going to cause them to run in the other direction. That's a plus, that's a positive, at least for now, for this moment. The second thing that Moses says is that God came, he has come, in order that the fear of him may remain in you so that you may not sin. So that when you are tempted to steal, your mind goes back to what you encountered at Sinai and you say, there's no way that I'm going to steal and disobey what this God has told me I will not do. There's no way that I am going to take that man's wife when God has forbidden it. The fear of the Lord begins to orient and direct every aspect of your life because you begin to realize that God is so big and so massive that everything falls under him. By the way, he's come in order to test you to see what's in your heart. He's come so that the fear of God may remain in you so that you will not sin. How, how well does this hold up? You ever thought about that? Right, you know what, if, if you've read this story before, you know what happens in just a, a few chapters, right? The golden calf. Do you, un, do you understand that the people construct, they make the golden calf, while Moses is on the mountain, in the thick cloud, the fire, while God is still visibly present on the mountain, and they're off to the side of it, they can still see God, and they make an idol. <laughs> Who does that? Well, they did, yes. We do. Here is the uncomfortable truth about fallen creatures like us meeting a holy and a transcendent God. 
if this encounter with the Lord is not able to keep them from sinning, if that display, if that sound, if that noise, if that direct communication, will there be anything that will keep God's people from sinning? I don't know what else you do. Here it is, people. So long as God's work and revelation is something that is outside of us, no matter how big or great that revelation is, it is not sufficient to keep me from sinning because my heart is that twisted. The outside revelation of who God is and His Word has to be brought inside me. It has to be brought to bear on my heart and mind to change me and to change you. Because if you think that you would do anything different than what these people did, if you had the revelation that they had, you're kidding yourself. We are not a better quality of people in our own rights. We are regenerated people, however. And God has taken what was for so long existing alongside of and outside of His people, and He has placed it in our hearts and minds so that we no longer need mere external constraints or external motivations, but we have something within us by God's grace that says, I want to obey. I don't want to sin. I do, but I hate it when I sin. That's a gift, people. And all of this, right, all of this is not so far removed from, what, from where we are in our spiritual experience. In Hebrews chapter 12, you don't need to turn there now, but in Hebrews chapter 12, after contrasting Mount Sinai and this experience with Mount Zion, where we go to be with the saints who, are, who have been perfected and where the blood of Jesus covers us. The author of Hebrews says, and there's coming a time when God is going to shake the earth once more. And he says this, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Not was a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. That is who we worship when we gather together. You say, crime and e, Merritt, it's Christmas. Why can't we talk about baby Jesus? No, see people, this is it. This is it. The degree to which you enjoy and marvel and celebrate Christmas 
is commensurate to the degree that you are taking this reality in. Right? The one whose voice can melt the earth cried like a baby. The one whom the universe cannot contain was held in a woman's arms. The one whom, in his unadulterated, pure essence and nature, we cannot approach and we cannot touch, when he took on flesh, John tells us that we not only beheld his glory, but we touched him with our hands. And precisely because he knows that we cannot bear the word and the voice of the Lord unadulterated as he truly is in mercy and grace and in condescension, he gives us his word in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can hear it without being terrified. That's Christmas. Skip just a few pages over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Start with me at verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You will listen to him. And then notice, this is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. That's Exodus 20. Notice, verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. It will come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is one of the great themes and messages of Christmas. That weak, fragile, sinful creatures that we are, unable to come into the presence of God, made His presence known to us in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And he comes so that we can hear the word from God and know that it's true. So that we can see that in this mode of revelation, the mode of his son, that God is welcoming his people in. That he is not keeping us at a distance, 
but that he is inviting us to move further in to enjoy fellowship with him, not because of any righteousness of our own, but because of the righteousness that Jesus Christ will cover us with. So that while we worship with fear and awe because our God is a consuming fire, we know now that because Jesus has come, that fire will not consume us. That's reason to celebrate Christmas. Bow with me in prayer. If you would, take just a few moments to reflect silently in your own heart and mind on who God is and what He's done, the truth of His Word. Forgive us, Father, for trying to make you like us. For diminishing you, if not in our words and in our actions, in the thoughts and the feelings of our mind and our heart. Thank you for the gift of your word that reminds us of your transcendence, of your holiness. The fact that were it not for Christ coming to us to lead us to the Father, that there would be no one able to stand in your presence. We thank you that when we hear or when we heard the voice of Jesus, that we heard the voice of our good shepherd calling us home. That your spirit took the work of Christ and his words and made it effective in our hearts and minds and regenerated us so that what was formerly written on stone tablets is now written on our hearts. You've given us desires to love you and to obey you. Father, to the extent that we celebrate the coming of your Son in human form this Christmas season, would you help us to remember and to marvel at the fact That it is no less than the eternal God that takes on human nature to walk among us so that one day we can walk with you in your presence forever. In Jesus' name, amen.